0: Welcome to Mariner's Church weekend message podcast. For more information on Mariners and ways you can get connected, head to marinerschurch.org or click the link in our show notes. I read the most fascinating survey recently. They asked children a question that we all love to answer. And the question is, what superpower would you want? And so their answers weren't surprising invisibility, power, strength, the ability to fly. The second question was, how would you use it? And so what was fascinating is they all said, I'd use it for me. I'd use it so that I could get rich, I could be famous, I would use it for me. Then the researchers asked, why no one said, why wouldn't you use it for justice or world peace, uh, to fight crime? And they all had the exact same answer, they said. I wouldn't do that, I might get hurt. And I reflected on that and I thought, if I had a superpower and could do anything, would I use it for the benefit of others or would I be afraid that I would get hurt? Today, what we're gonna see is that Jesus in a conversation says that he gives us a superpower. And he also tells us that we definitely will be hurt when we use it. But this superpower can absolutely change the world. We're in a series about titled Unexpected Conversations that Jesus had, and I think this conversation is absolutely one of the most unexpected. It is in John chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, you'll see it, it's on the screens. And uh, what we're gonna talk about is this, uh, this conversation. Now, I'm gonna go to the end, so you can see where Jesus is going. So here's where we're gonna end up, and it's a very famous verse. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, new way of living. I want you to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is so simple, right? It's very easy to understand. It's not complicated. But what I want you to understand, while it's simple, I think this is one of the most challenging things that Jesus has ever said. It's one of the most difficult things to do. And I'll just give you a warning. This is a really hard message. And so maybe if you're sitting at home, you might want to find a reason to go clean your kitchen right now. Or, you know, if you think, I, you know, I want a nice, safe Jesus. I don't really want anything to challenge my life. I like the idea of Jesus just giving me everything. You probably need to find a reason to kind of avoid this message because while it's simple, it is profound and very challenging. Look at what it says in Galatians. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So to be a loving person. Uh, Is that true? Do you think that the whole law is summarized in just this one statement? Do you think it's true? You go, so let's look at it. Think about it with me. Um, Why should I tell the truth? Why should I not lie? You go, oh, oh, I know, I know, I know. Because God said that we shouldn't lie and uh, that's so, and you know, he wrote the Bible and it says in the Bible, we shouldn't lie. So we shouldn't lie. And while that's true, <laughs> that's not why you shouldn't lie. When you lie, you're you're hurting the person that you lie to. You're telling them they're not worthy of the truth. Uh, you're putting yourself ahead of another person. You say, be generous. Why should we be generous? I know, I know, because when we give to God, God likes us more and he'll give us more. You know, you give him one, he gives us 10. So we should be generous. I don't think any of that's true. But the reason that we wanna be generous is that when we are generous to other people, we actually help those that we're generous to. We're not to gossip. Uh, why, is, why are we not to be gossipers? <laughs> go, I know, because God said we shouldn't gossip. And if God said it, we shouldn't do it. The real reason is because it hurts other people when we gossip. We undermine their dignity. We elevate ourselves at the expense of another person. The reason why this command summarizes all of the commands is Jesus saying with this one, you don't need a verse for everything. This one command, this idea of loving others as God's loved us, he says that's the whole law can be summed up in love your neighbor. Do you believe this? Do you you believe that it's all summarized and just, we gotta love? And you go, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's like in the 60s, you know, we just gotta love one another. Just be loving people, right? I think that what he's saying here is so much more profound and big, bigger than what we can imagine. So let's look at John 13 and see this unexpected conversation that Jesus has that is so clear and yet at the same time, so challenging. So look at what he says in John 13. Before the Passover festival, this is the largest uh, celebration of the year. This is where they're celebrating their deliverance out of slavery uh, from Egypt, where they're set free every year they do it. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for the supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son to betray him. Jesus knew that the father had given him everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So we're at this giant celebration and Jesus in the celebration wants to show the disciples how much he loves them. He wants them to experience his love. He wants them to understand that love. He wants this love to transform their hearts. And at the same time, he knows that in loving them, he's going to love Judas and Judas, who is gonna betray him. And so we see right away that loving someone hurts us. I mean, it always hurts us when we're betrayed. And so he's going to wash Judas's feet. And even when Judas is rolling his eyes and he knows that he's got betrayal on his mind, Judas is so angry that Jesus will not do what he's asked him to do that he's gonna try to push Jesus in a corner, try to get him to power up. He's angry, he's gonna betray Jesus. And even in that, Jesus is going to love this person that he's been with for three years. He's still gonna love him, even though it's going to hurt him. And then the, the last thing that we see is that he has total faith that God is gonna take care of him in this situation. So we see Jesus's heart is the heart of a servant. Jesus, who was God, did not stay safe in heaven where we couldn't know him and distant and far, but he came close to us. And he didn't just step down, but he became a servant. And he didn't just stay there, but he stepped down even further and he went to the cross and he died. And Jesus is now going to say to us, you need to understand that no one is ever loved unless someone surrenders and steps down and humbles themselves. The most surprising quality of God is that he is a humble servant. It's the most surprising quality of God. Now contrast that to the heart of the disciples. Look at what the disciples always were talking about and fighting among themselves. They were walking towards Capernaum, and Jesus says, hey, what were you arguing about on the way? (laughs) But they were silent. Why, because they're embarrassed. Because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who is the greatest. So Jesus calls them together and sits down. He calls the 12 and he said to them, if anybody wants to be first, he must be last and the servant of all. You wanna be great? You've got to be a servant. And this isn't the only time Jesus said it. I mean, he's saying it all through the years he's discipling these guys. One time, Jesus, in an emotional moment, says to the disciples, you know how the religious leaders are coming after me? They wanna kill me? You need to understand they're going to get me and they're going to put me on trial, they're gonna kill me, I'm gonna be beaten. And he's telling them he's gonna die on a cross. But he says, what you need to understand is I am going to be resurrected on the third day. It's emotional and Jesus is sad and overwhelmed by that thought. And even with the emotion, right at the end of the conversation, James and John come to Jesus and they say, Okay, Jesus, when you finally, you know, take off this rabbinical robe and this whole servant thing and you finally power up against Rome and become the king, we've put together an organizational chart that we think will work great for you. So you're at the top because, you know, you're like the king. But then right below us, you know, we want James and John and the other disciples were just indignant and mad mostly because they didn't think of it. Jesus again has to pull them aside and he says to them, you know, in the world, in the world, how do people handle power? You know, if somebody's got power and they're at the top, you know, of the, the organizational chart, basically everything is for me. They go, you're here for me, everything serves me. I'm at the top and you're here for me. But Jesus says to his disciples, not so with you. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life. That's what I'm expecting of you. And so for you, if you have any power, you ever get to any position of influence, you've got any authority, it's not about you. It's not a me first. You say, I'm here and I am for you. I'm for everyone else. I'm going to take the power that I have and leverage it to use it for others. That's what Jesus says at it. It's amazing. And you know what I love? I love when researchers in our world find out that Jesus was right all along. Uh, Jim Collins, who is a writer, he wrote Built to Last, uh, Good to Great, How the Mighty Fall, and a bunch of other books. Uh, He's a great researcher, a Stanford professor. And what he did one time with all of his research assistants is he said, what is the defining quality of a great leader? Now he even writes and he says what I expect expected is that what would come back is the defining quality of a great leader is that they're a charismatic, gifted leader. That's that's what we'd find. But that is not what he was finding. In fact, he was surprised. This is what he discovered. Here is the defining quality of a great leader. They have personal humility combined with the desire to move the mission forward. He says, personal humility, desire, to move the mission forward. And this is what he says. This is not what I think great leaders should do. This is what great leaders do. 2000 years before that, Jesus said, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to serve others. And so Jesus says, anytime you have any power, influence, or authority, you use it for others. You use it to serve others. You say, I'm here to serve. Just try that. Say that where you are right now. Say, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. That's the way we show up as Jesus followers. I'm here to serve. One of the things I love about our pastor, Eric, is that that's his heart. He says, I'm here to serve. He did that for me, when we went through the transition, I determined that it was best for me to just step out and not be around. And when he came, he said, No, no, can't I want you? And I said, I don't think you even know me. He says, Why don't we just take six months and we'll see? Because I'm not always that nice of a person. And even after six months, he said, No, I want, I want you to be here. I think it's important for you. And he he served me and it honored me. And I I feel like he's such a great model of someone who has personal humility. So now let's go back to John's story in John 13. Jesus has set up everything for the Passover. uh, And in Jesus's day, uh, you gotta remember, he sits in the upper room, he's made a wash, uh, made a little bowl and a basin of water and a towel. And in Jesus's day, you have to remember that people walked on the streets with sandals, open shoes. And in Jesus's day, the streets mean animals would walk on the streets, Literally the streets in Jesus' days were used as the public sewage system. So when you walked into a person's home, it wasn't optional for you to wash your feet. It was absolutely critical. And sometimes when there was a party or if there was a, something happening, they would have someone there that would wash your feet, but it was essential that you wash your feet. You can just imagine all the gross stuff on people's feet. And in, the, in Jesus' day, tables were about a foot and a half off the ground and so when you ate, your feet were gonna be around other people because you were reclining. So again, you just need to have your feet washed. And I love the picture of this scene because It's just, this is my imagination. It's kind of Kenton in the white spaces, but it's easy to imagine what goes on. Here they come into the upper room. Jesus has everything set up for the Passover dinner. There's a basin of water and a towel right by the door. The first guy walks in, and while he's taking off his sandals, he's looking and he's thinking, you know, I should stop and wash my feet, but I know the guy that's behind me, he's gonna think that I should wash his feet. And the reason And I know that is because the disciple, you know, he's been part of every one of these arguments where they fought about who's gonna be the greatest. And this clown behind me thinks that he's the greatest and that I should wash his feet. And not only that, the guy behind him thinks he's better than me and the guy behind him. And I'm gonna end up washing everyone's feet. And if I do that, and he's looking at the table, he's thinking, I'm gonna be at the end of the table and I'm not gonna be a part of the conversation. And so I'm not gonna be, I I won't have a seat of honor. I won't be a part of the conversation. And besides that, someday some artist is gonna draw a picture of this thing, paint a picture, and I'm gonna be at the very end. I don't think so. So he just takes, you know, walks in and he goes and sits down. You can imagine the second guy. He steps, walks in and goes, well, look at that buzzer. I mean, he walks in, he's taken off the sandals and he thinks that guy wouldn't wash my feet. He thinks I'm supposed to wash his feet and he thinks he's better than me. And the guy behind me thinks that if I start washing feet, I'm gonna end up washing all these other guys' feet. I don't think so. And besides that, I know about the painting too. I wanna be in the seat of honor, which ironically, who are probably the first two disciples that walked in the room, John and Judas, because they were in the seats of honor. But they all come walking in and all 12 make the same decision, even though their whole life they have been around Jesus. They've heard, they've seen Jesus who lived as a servant. He modeled this lifestyle of humility. He told them they should be servants. Still, they still live with this me first mindset. And we know that, you know what the conversation they start to have at the table? Because Luke records it, they have the same conversation about who is The greatest, they start arguing who's gonna be the greatest when Jesus sets up his kingdom. Then Jesus does something that is absolutely unexpected. Now imagine yourself at it. You haven't washed others' feet. You haven't even washed your feet. You're sitting at this table and this is what happens. So he, Jesus, got up from supper. He laid aside his outer clothing. So he takes off the rabbinical robe. He takes a towel. He tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. So you can just imagine this scene. How terrifying would this be? It would just be horrifying. First, Jesus is washing your feet and immediately you're aware of all of the the dirt and the ugliness of your feet. But that isn't the hardest part of this moment. What is overwhelming, is you realize that Jesus is doing the very thing you refused to do. And you see this me first, dark heart. I always want the best. I want everything for me. I am so worried about me. I can never serve another. And you couldn't even look. I wouldn't be able to look at Jesus in the eye. I would be so mortified by having Jesus wash my feet. It would just be terrible. And then so Peter, basically says, Jesus, you don't know who you are. You can't do this. He says to him, basically, comes to him, Peter asks him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you'll understand. So this isn't about washing feet. Something more profound is going on. And then Peter's saying, Jesus, you don't know who you are. You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, and replied to him, if I don't wash you you will have no part of me. What's the point here? Jesus is saying, this isn't about washing feet. Jesus says in a little while, meaning after the cross, you're going to understand that I died on the cross to wash your sin stained heart. And he's saying, if I don't wash you, if you don't believe in what I did, you don't trust me, believe in my death, washing you clean in the cross, you have no part of me. And so this idea is that all of us, we are absolutely filthy with sin, but what Jesus does on the cross is he washes us clean. He makes us new. He gives us the beauty of his righteousness so that we can be clean. And that's sort of the picture of what uh, this foot washing is, a way that we could experience foot washing like the disciples did after this. What are we all doing these days, more than we ever have in our life before? We're all washing our hands multiple times during the day. And why? Because we want to protect ourselves from COVID. We want to protect the people in our life from COVID. One of the things that you could do to remember this incident is when you began to wash your hands and you're looking in a mirror, just say, you know what? As I'm washing my hands and trying to protect myself from this infection, this is what Jesus did for me on the cross. He died to wash me clean, the stench of my sin in my heart, he washed and made clean. He gives me the beauty of his righteousness. I've been made clean, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted. And there's the beauty of that's what washing is. And so there's the beauty of, you know, we can experience this every day. That's the picture here. of course, he says, "If you don't have, if you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me." Simon Peter said, no, "Okay, not just my feet, wash everything." And Jesus says, uh, "Look at, if you've bathed, I've told him you don't need to wash anything except your feet." But he's except, uh, is completely clean. And then he says to Peter, "You are clean, but not all of you." And he's pointing at them. Now he's thinking again of Judas. He says, "For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said." Not all of you are clean. Now let's look at the lessons that he goes. The very next section, look at what he says to them. He says, when Jesus had washed their feet, he puts on the outer robe again, the rabbinical robe. He says to them, do you know what I have done for you? Do you understand this? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since this is what I am. What's the first lesson? Jesus says, look at I am your rabbi, I am Lord. I am the one who created everything. I am God, the sustainer of the universe. And just because I served you doesn't make me less in who I am. I am still rabbi, I am still Lord. I am still God. So the first thing that you have to realize is we do not become less when we serve others. We actually change other people's lives when we serve them. And then the next thing that he says in John 13, 14 and 15, he says, if I, as your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. This is totally unexpected. Here's the unexpected part of the conversation. You know, what we would expect Jesus to say is this, I have loved you, I have served you, I have washed your feet, I have honored you. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to love me the way that I've loved you. I want you to serve me the way that I've served you. I want you to honor me the way that I have honored you. But he does not say that. He says something that is so spectacularly more challenging Then to love him, he says, look at I have loved you. I have served you. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. I want you to serve others the way. I want you to honor others the way that I have loved you. I have demonstrated love to you. Now you go and express love to others. Imagine if we got this right. I mean, what would happen if we loved others the way that Jesus loved us? Families would be better off. Our workplace would be better off. Friendships would be totally transformed. Uh, People who work for us that we work with would be better off. I mean, life would be better if we just got this one thing right. And then Jesus goes on and look at what he says. I'm not speaking about all of you, I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Speaking of Judas again, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. What's he saying? He says, look it, I understand when you love others, you're gonna be hurt. I was hurt. I spent three years with Judas. He was my friend. I chose him as a disciple. I wanted him to to experience the joy, the thrill of knowing me, the thrill of living life with a purpose, but he rejected me and betrayal always hurts. And so Jesus is showing us, even when you step out in love, even for Jesus, it didn't always work. There's a risk and there is a pain in loving others and yet he still loved them. And so then he summarizes it. This is where we started. I give you a new command to love one another just as I have loved you, You are also to love one another. Here's a new lifestyle. It's a new command, a new mandate, a way to live, to love others. Jesus says, I loved you. Look at how Jesus loved us. He was safe and secure in heaven. He had position and power, but he didn't stay there. He stepped down and he came to this earth. He became like us to be with us, but it wasn't just that. He stepped down and he became a servant. He humbled himself and even more, he went to the cross and died our death so that we could be set free. And he says, now, this is what I want. I want you to love others the same way that I loved you because no one in this life is ever loved if someone doesn't step down and surrender and serve. It's the only way a person is ever loved. What Jesus is saying here radically changes the way we view spirituality. Spirituality is horizontal. It is not vertical. The way we demonstrate and show our love for Jesus is how we love others. And so Jesus not only forgives us, but he gives us his spirit, which transforms us. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And what does he do? He produces the fruit of the spirit. And as you think about the fruit of the spirit, every fruit of the spirit is horizontal. He gives us love and love is sort of the prism for all of these other qualities. And so he is transforming us, working love into our hearts. That's our new superpower that gives us the ability to change the world. And so how's it expressed? Joy and peace are the fruits of the spirit. That's making us, giving us the power to reconcile with people, to live at peace with others, to forgive others. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. These are all horizontal things that give us the power to express loves to others. Why is this so important to Jesus? Why? Well, the very next verse, by this, Everyone will know. How is it that people will know that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for their sins? How will they know that you are my disciples only if you love one another? The way the world is going to experience Jesus's love is through us. Imagine, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our marriages, within our families, in our life, for us as Jesus followers, if we show up and we say, I'm here for you, How can I help you? I'm here to serve. Jesus' love absolutely transformed me and I want you to love. And the the issue is that we're to love all people. The people who are different from us, the people who are difficult. We're to love people who look like us and don't look like us. We're love people who think like us And don't think people who believe the way we believe, people who do not believe the way that we believe. You're to love the Republican to the right of you, the Democrat to the left of you. We are to love all people the way that Jesus loved us. What Jesus says here is so clear and simple, and there are no loopholes, got it? Simple, right? But it is so challenging because no one is ever loved. Unless we, like Jesus, are humble, we step down, and we serve, and Jesus is saying to us, I didn't humble myself, I didn't give up heaven, I didn't step down, I didn't become a servant, I didn't sacrifice my life so that you can step over people, step on people, that you can live a life of just going up and over people. He says, no, I did that so that you can live the same way that I live, that you can live loving other people. Imagine if we got this one thing right. We were so transformed by the love of Jesus that we, I mean, we'd go to our families, to our workplaces, to our cities, and we just showed up loving people like that. I mean, it would radically transform every relationship, our marriages, relationships with our kids, with our siblings, our coworkers, that we would be the people that would step into every relationship and say, I'll be the first to own my part. I wanna reconcile. I will be a humble servant. I'm not trying to be right. I just wanna be loving. How can I make this work? I wanna forgive, I'll ask for forgiveness. We're gonna be the people who are humble servants just moving at relationships. We give up the need to be right in a situation. We give up fear that we might get hurt. We already know that we'll get hurt in relationships. Jesus has modeled that. And so we are to be the people who love. You get it? Do you understand? Pretty straightforward, pretty simple, really, isn't it? Well, let me cut it just one more way then. You know <laughs> you know the people that I have a really hard time liking? I mean, I have a really hard time liking. The people that I have a hard time with are the people who hurt my children or hurt my grandchildren. You know, if they treat just one of my children and they're unfair, they're unkind, or they're severe. I mean, if a coach, plays his kid and never lets my kid play even though my kid might be better. You know, if a teacher is unfair to one of my children or grandchildren, if people set them up for failure, you know, they're kids, If they're just kids. And if they can't be forgiving to them because they're just acting out as children, there is, you know what, I just have a hard time liking them. And there's just no point in trying to make peace with me. I mean, you can bring me a gift, you can give me, a, give me money, you can sing me a song, you can praise my name, but it doesn't matter because it will not compensate for you hurting just one of my children or my grandchildren. And on the other side, do you know the best way that you can show love for me or honor me? Just by loving one of my kids or loving my grandkids. Years ago, uh, when Lori and I were just first starting the church, uh, we were in a life group in our home. And it had to be in our home because we had four young children. They were all boys. And we couldn't go to somebody else's house. So we just invited all the couples into our house. And this one guy who was about 15 years older than us, he came by. Uh, he was married, but he showed up early. His name was Westman. And he would show up early and he didn't say, you know, how can I help? He just showed up and he, he was a father to boys. So he understood sons and he just would come in and he would engage with my sons. He would start to, you know, get with them, get on the floor, he'd start playing with them. He'd be reading books. Often he, often, he never even made it to the life group. He just was taking care of my sons. And I can remember after one of the life groups, Jesus, he was walking out and, and Lori my wife looked at him and said, you know what? I love that man. I love him because he loved our kids. You know, you understand Jesus' heart. You understand God's heart because his heart is a lot like ours. And he says, if you mistreat one of my kids, if you're unforgiving, unkind, judgmental, uh, you refuse to make peace with them, you don't do all that you can do, He says, it it hurts me, it dishonors me. But the best way he says to honor me is to love my kids. It's that simple. Jesus says the Christian life, following him, being a disciple is that simple. There's just one command. says, I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. And so it's important for us to understand God's love. I mean, So even that in, in the upper room, when Jesus was with the disciples, he gave us a way to remember how much we are loved. Because if we focus on this transforming love, that's our superpower. And that superpower gives us the ability to move into the world and transform our world as we love. But love, we gotta love the way that Jesus loved us. Now Jesus says, do you understand? Do you understand? I have loved you. I gave my life for you. Now, he doesn't say, I want you to love me that way. He says, I want you to go into the world and change the world by loving others with the love that I have given to you. You go into the world and say, I am here to serve. In a couple of weeks, it's going to be Easter, which is the greatest celebration in the church calendar. It's something to celebrate that Jesus didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. And we've got Good Friday services and we have Easter services all over the county. There's so many. I can't tell you where they all are. You've got to go to the website. But you know what's most important? You've got to invite a friend. We didn't get to experience Easter last year. And through COVID, the one thing people know is they need a connection with the transcendent God. They need purpose and meaning in their life. They need a relationship with God. And the one thing that people need is an invitation from you. They wanna come to church, they just don't know where. And so would you think about how you can invite your friends, your family, your coworkers, and your neighbors and say, oh, come to church with me. Easter is great at Mariners. You'll love it. And then join one of the Good Friday services and then also our Easter services. They are the best we know how to do Easter. All right, so we hold out your hands and receive the blessing that God said that he always wanted to give his people. Father, look at your children. They love you. Would you bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Would you lift up the light of your countenance? Would you turn your attention towards them? And when they cry out or they reach out to you, would you bow low and hear their prayers and rescue and answer? And Father, would you give them peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can head to the website by clicking the link in our show notes or text My Mariners to 77977. If you'd like more biblical encouragement from Mariner's Church throughout the week, we also have the Gospel Every Day Podcast. Every episode is a 7-10 to 10 minute reflection from our 2021 annual read, A Mariner's Tradition and it's based in the book of Proverbs. We're reading Timothy and Kathy Keller's devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And why are we doing this? Well, God wants us to benefit from His wisdom and avoid foolish thinking and living. Instead of binging on social media or your favorite streaming service, imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that God will use to change your life. Hey, let's get wise together. Join us and head over right now and download the Gospel Everyday Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Have a great week and may you live by God's grace every day.